for September 10th, 2023, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 18, a reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Gospel of the Lord. A few weeks ago, um, I was gathered with some friends. We were reading scripture together and we were listening for how it is God's spirit might be speaking to us through um, through the words on the page, but really as the words come to life, as we talk about them, as we share our lives, and as we listen for what the Holy Spirit might be saying. And we were, we were looking at Exodus 32, <clears throat> the golden calf incident. And as we're studying this, I see something in the text that I've never seen before. And I can't believe that I've never seen it because it's so obvious. Now, before I tell you what it is, I want to point out how some things work um, in real, real life. Scripture works like real life, but sometimes we, <clears throat> sometimes we miss it. So uh, when a parent goes out of town, um, leaves a child in charge of the house, they say things like, make sure you shut off the lights because maybe uh, the young adult has a history of not turning off the lights. Or they say things like, do not throw a party or do not drink alcohol because that's a theoretical concern for young adults, or maybe it's happened in the past, right? The direction that's given is uniquely tied to certain realities that exist within the context, all right? So you probably know where I'm going with this, right? We have the Ten Commandments, and we have all the other rules and laws that sort of come out when the people are at Sinai, which is, you know, from about Exodus 19 up into Leviticus and even into Numbers. And so in sort of that vein of what real life works like, I think it's appropriate for us to, to understand that when God says, um, don't take my name in vain, God's name had been being taken in vain. Um, when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, uh, that's because even after leaving Egypt, this notion of idolatry um, is still a problem, i.e. the golden calf, right? Don't steal, don't commit adultery. Uh, don't covet, right? These were real things that were happening within the community that are actually really being addressed in in the in in the various direction that's God God's given. 
So why am I telling this in light of our reading from Matthew is because I'm imagining that there is definitely, um, there's definitely a sin problem sinning against one another in this, even in this little tribe that Jesus has gathered of 12 of 70, right? That there were problems and that the problems needed reconciling. And I, I'm thinking, I'm imagining that if Jesus would have spent all of his energy and all of his time making peace between all of the disciples, that would have, right, he would have spent just all that time putting out those fires. And we, we don't need that, right? He didn't need to do that. They were capable of making peace amongst themselves. And so we have this, I think, we get really practical directions in this reading, uh, from Jesus, we get really practical, uh, a, a good pattern for how accountability can happen. Um, we recognize that accountability is part of our life together, our shared life in Christ, that we share life in Christ, that that Christ cannot be divided, that there's one body, means that reconciliation and these things must exist um, between us. We need to take it seriously. And we have also sort of this notion that that I think we can see Jesus saying, I want you to learn how to settle these things yourself. Or I want you to learn how to settle these things with with me in the room um, in the various ways um, Jesus is in the room, but but you do it. Um, what you bind will be bound. What you loose will be loose. Um, what you agree on will, will be these things will be what happens. <clears throat> and the aim here is more forgiveness. The aim here is more peace. The aim here is that the body of Christ is not divided against itself. And I'm hearing Jesus's words from the, the passion, right? The last part of in the gospel of John, where he says, Father, I'm praying for them that they, they may be one as you and I are one. There's this desire in Christ's heart for there to be, um, for there to be peace and, and unity and community, a common between us. <clears throat> now, I want to talk about some of the less obvious things um, that, or, or the things that are on the surface that we notice. Um, we notice less. I th- I'm assuming this passage is pretty familiar <clears throat> to you. You probably have used it. You've probably been told this is how you, how to settle disputes and <clears throat> and problems. So the first thing is um, that this is a conversation between people that share a life in Christ together. This is not direction for how to deal with people that um, do not understand themselves as part of the body of Christ, right? So um, somebody cuts me off while I'm driving. Um, This is, you know, I do not need to confront them and then grab two people from the church to confront them. Now, if it's somebody from my church and they cut me off, uh, maybe we need to do that, right? But this this is direction given for people who are existing in a community together, people who are existing within the body of Christ, people who are gathering together uh, in, in the name. And so <clears throat> so that's, I think, super important to, to realize. The second is, the, the word here is really interesting. If the member listens to you, right? Listens, listens, listens is, is completely um, all over this text, right? And so what does it mean to be, to be listened to? Well, uh, the the Greek word here is um, that we, that translates as listen is akuo, and it's an equivalent for the Hebrew word shema, which has a range of meaning between like listen and hear, right? That the sound coming in, but also moves into o- obey, 
or to do, right? Did you hear me when I told you to do X, Y, and Z? What we don't mean, what's it's usually not meant is, um, did the sound make its way into you? Did you understand my request? What we mean is, did you, did you do what I told you to do? Did you listen? Not did you receive the information, but did you comply with uh, the information? Maybe my favorite rendering of Shema is, um, is hearken right is is this sort of listening that moves us further into uh, not compliance not uh, like a unity or a shared a shared life like it moves us into relationship and um, towards each other so it definitely has that and it can actually mean both things at once right it can mean hear and do or um, or or, or um, listen and and obey. So definitely part of that when it says listen here, but there are words, uh, there are Greek words for, for obey or comply or, um, that tell you that they are sorry, right? Like it's not, it doesn't say if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault when you two are alone. If the member repents or if the other member says, I'm sorry, or if they go, you were right, I was wrong. Then you have regained that one. But the word there that we use is listen. And I, 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 I want to suggest perhaps when we go to make peace with someone, we will find out that we are wrong, that we have misunderstood, that we have misinterpreted, that we have what we have experienced is not at all what happened. There's part of making peace. There's a huge part of making peace. Maybe the most important part of making peace is listening. So Jesus is telling us here, right, is pointing out this this need, um, need that we listen, that they listen, that there's a listening that that exists uh, between us. Now, why is Jesus telling them to uh, to bring a witness? Well, that's part of um, part of how they get direction um, while in the first five books, like Deuteronomy seventeen. Uh, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, someone shall be put to death. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, a lone witness is not sufficient to establish any sort of wrongdoing. Um, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then even in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes reference to this, right? John 8, he says, even the, <clears throat> even in our law, uh, your own law, it is written that the testimony of two is uh, is valid. So we have Jesus here actually directing them back to um, to the, the law of Moses or to the way that's given in, in, in Torah and the first um, five books. But there's also some practicalities here, um, right? Accountability requires wisdom and discernment and blind spots exist in us and in other people. And sometimes you need a neutral third party. Sometimes you need someone to say, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about this? Or what about that right and wisdom comes as we open ourselves up to the insight of others that that can make the way we view the world much richer much truer um, sometimes more gracious sometimes more merciful sometimes they help us see like things are not you know think maybe things are bad and maybe this is a this is a problem but the the the, the third party is about making peace. It's not about ganging up, right? It's not go get the person who you think is going to destroy the person you're in conflict with. It is about making peace, making wholeness. It's about restoring. Um, it's about forgiveness. Now, we, um, we, if we, if we make our way down a little bit further, we're told, Jesus tells us that if the member refuses to listen, 
uh, then you tell it to the church, and then if the, the, the still refuses to listen to the entire body of Christ, then let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So uh, how this has been sort of handed to me, the, the lens and sort of the, the application of this, is that you are excommunicating them, right? You are, you are moving them out of the community to a place outside of the community with the idea being that it's so cold out there with the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth and not with you all uh, that that they'll change their mind to come back in. But listen, if uh, does it work to tell someone they're unwanted and then to... Uh, <laughs> well, then I don't want to be there. So I think we need to first think about who um, who the Gentiles are. Right in Scripture, um, we've got the Syrophoenician woman who we bumped into a few weeks ago, who uh, who says to Jesus, "Even the dogs get the crumbs from the table." And Jesus says, "You have a great faith. You have a great faith." Or the centurion in Capernaum, where Jesus says, "I haven't even seen faith like this in in all of Israel." Or the widow that Elijah is sent to, that Jesus references in his reading of the Isaiah sixty one scroll when when we're in Luke four, or the Ninevites that Jonah is sent to and begrudgingly goes to and receives mercy or Pharaoh's daughter or Jethro or Melchizedek or, um, and now we're going to dip into, to, to, to out of Gentile. Oh, Hagar. I mean, come on, Hagar. We can't forget about Hagar. Her name literally means the alien or the sojourner Hagar. And, and we have these being Gentiles in the story who are welcomed in Rahab. I mean, we could just continue to go forward, right? The Gentiles are in being invited into the story and the people of God are sent to these people. Um, the thing about the tax collectors, right? Like who wrote the gospel we're reading? Matthew. What was Matthew's job? He was a tax collector. And what was Jesus's disposition to Matthew, to t- the tax collector? Jesus's disposition was to say, Matthew, follow me. Yes, leave your tax booth behind, but come and follow me. Or we have Zacchaeus, who Jesus dines with, right? Before Zacchaeus has even begun to make restitution, all Zacchaeus, um, all Zacchaeus does is, is climb a tree because he wants to see Jesus. Him, He wants to see Jesus. And that is is enough for Jesus to say, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to eat with you. Listen, when Jesus says, let, them, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, he's not saying, freeze them out. He's not saying, teach them a lesson. He's not saying, make sure they know they're not wanted. He's saying, invite them into my radical love. Show them my radical hospitality and and come home. Return home. Now, of course, there are different realities that exist in you know, all of these various situations that we find ourselves in. And but the heart, the heart of how we practice, how we live this out needs to be maintaining faithfulness to the, and we get to this down here, right? For two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It need, we need to be faithful to Christ. We need to be finding ourselves in, um, in community with Christ as we are engaging in conflict in all, for sure, all of our relationships, right? Whether, whether someone's in the realized part of the body of Christ or not, um, but especially as we deal with conflicts between us, we, we want to make sure that that's how we're treating um, and how we're 
we're caring for each other, right? Treating someone like a Gentile or a tax collector is not a shun. It's a continual invitation back into life, back into relationship, back into the the good things um, that can and do exist between us. Now, moving down to about uh, verse 20, um, Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And I think most helpful, you, you probably heard this, we should most simply understand in the name of to mean we're acting on behalf of Christ. We are bearing Christ um, to the body of Christ, like it's an ambassador or we're a representing, we're representing, we're, we're showing Christ uh, in this situation, right? To, to be in the name, to be, um, to, to be gathered, to be acting in the name is, uh, is, is about representing and I, I like to read this first, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am present, I am among them. I, I like to read it really, really wide. I think we can apply it to all of the various ways in which we gather together. And I think it requires us also to acknowledge how beautiful it is to see that this promise of his presence being among us, being guaranteed, is as we are making peace with each other. Right, you might think where there's conflict, Jesus is like, I'm not coming in until until you guys sort this out. But he's saying, No, 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 no. I'm there. I'm there at the wound. I'm there at the breaking. I'm there at where things aren't how you want them to be, where things aren't as you wished they were. And I think we can go still further in because it's not just that Jesus promises to be present, but what if Jesus is especially present? What if he is being precisely represented among us while we are making peace, right? Earlier in Matthew, when Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, these blessings, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters. They will be called children of God. So perhaps as we're making peace, as we're gathering together to, to heal the wounds <coughs> among us, um, Christ is especially realized amongst us as we do that. I would offer that, you know, especially as we consider how might we read this, how might we be representing, um, bringing, proclaiming this gospel amongst us, is to think about it as a warm, a warm fire. To think about it as a gathering around the warmth of Christ that keeps us warm and helps us shed um, the cold, the bitter, that um, just naturally can exist between us, um, can nat- you know, naturally exist, but <clears throat> can grow up as we, as we live life uh, together. So I, I would just urge as we're reading this in our various ways, as we're presenting this, as we're proclaiming this, that we read it with warmth, right? We read it from a disposition of wanting to be peacemakers, of wanting to be people who are inviting the tax collectors and the Gentiles and the people like me and the people like you and the people not like me and the people not like you and those that we, you know, carry all these different things with or against, we'd be recognizing that they are welcomed in Christ's presence. I want to close um, by reading what I think is, I don't know, maybe the best, uh, best known uh, favorite, one of the favorites of mine, uh, Psalms that invites us into um, what forgiveness, what forgiveness looks like. And so I've got here Psalm 51. 
And I've got it um, as it's translated by Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi um, in his collection of psalms called Psalms and a Translation for Praying. Psalm 51. Please be gracious to me, God. Be kind to me. With your great compassion, erase my guilt. I know I was an offender. My sin stares me in the face. I failed you alone. What you consider evil, I have done. I admit that. You are right. Your judgment is just. Don't judge me harshly for... In the heat of passion, my mother conceived me. Was I not fashioned in lust? In my kidneys, I feel your scrutiny. You inform me in hidden thoughts. Please scour me with hyssop and I will come clean. Scrub me to be as white as snow. Let me hear the joy and glee again so the bones in me that still hurt from your rebuke will be able to delight again. Turn your face from my sins. Do wipe out all my wrongdoings. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a sensitive spirit. Don't push me away from you. Don't deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Let me again regain the joy I felt when you helped me. Support me in an attitude of generosity. Let me teach the rebellious what your way is about. Those who failed that virtue, I will bring back to you. My caring God, save me from blood guilt. Master, give me back my power to speak to you. My very tongue is eager to sing of your fairness. Then your praise will flow from my mouth with ease. If you really wanted sacrifices, I gladly would bring them, but it is not a burnt offering that you want from me. Instead, your favor, my humbled spirit, God, my heartbroken regret, you will not despise. As for Zion, pour out your goodwill. Raise up Jerusalem's buildings. In that setting, we will offer oblations of all kinds that you desire. Then all life will become your altar. All right, now normally I wouldn't comment here, but like that last portion really like pulls this home. It's in the context of community that that worship is best brought. And when we worship together, when uh, it's that is when when that happens, when we worship together, our collective life becomes an altar of praise. All right. Uh, Blessings, friends. You're listening to For the Readers, a podcast to invest in all those readers of Scripture, especially those proclaiming the gospel in their faith communities. Each week, we read the gospel text as set out by the Revised Common Lectionary and then offer what may be beneficial and formational for the reader, commenting on such things as aid in pronunciation, an exploration of context and curiosities connected with the text, offering one of many possible views of what may be essential in our reading, consideration of the passage's emotional tone and how this specific text may be read well and thus heard in a life-giving way, and then finally, 
we close with a prayer, poem, or some other piece that emerges with a connection to our gospel reading. All this to offer greater familiarity and a deeper interconnection with the scripture, which is then becoming a more fertile ground for the spirit to be transforming the reader and thus the community further into Christ-likeness. May we have the mind of Christ.